0: Praying for Pastor Kyle. I, I meet up with a few lead pastors uh, every other month. He he planted Seeds of Life Church, and we went to the church planting class together. Uh, we raised money together, and then we launched uh, our churches together. So they're very much kind of like twins with us. And uh, he's a uh, he's just been a really close friend of mine. They've been in the adoption process for over a year now, and. They are looking to adopt uh, a baby girl from China, and everything was good to go. They booked plane tickets in in March in order to bring her home. But as they visited the embassy two days ago, um, the person who looked at his application uh, talked to him about being a pastor and then basically denied their application after this very long process. And if you know anything about the adoption process— I mean, financially, it's tens of thousands of dollars, but also just reading your home, your heart, your children to bring in another family member is, is incredibly... Um, there's just a huge cost to it. And so I've been praying a lot uh, for my friend Kyle, and, and I asked him if, if we could pray for him as well. And so would you, would you just take two minutes just to kind of talk to the Lord, um, asking for favor for those who have a hand in uh, making these decisions, and um, and then I'll close us. God, thank you so much for uh, my brother Kyle. I know most people here don't know him, but he loves you so much, and um, I again just pray that um, you would open the doors and move the hearts um, that need to be moved in order for him to bring... This girl into his family to give her a home and also into your family, um, that she would be adopted by by our father um, by you and um, so we just we just ask Lord, that you would in- take away every barrier, every stumbling block in Jesus name that the people who are saying no would you silence them? would you bind them, Lord, and would you release those who uh, will Give them a path forward into bringing um, their girl home next month, God. So we just ask for that in Jesus' name, um, amen. All right, we uh, usually start off with a question, so we're doing that today. If you could break off into groups of three and four and meet someone around you, that'd be awesome. Uh, How have you heard other people describe Jesus? Maybe your coworkers or, or friends or people you go to school with. And who is Jesus to you? So that's the first question. The second question is, how would you describe yourself? Originally, it was written as, how would you describe the core of who you are? But the children's ministry just said that's too intense. So how would you describe yourself? Yeah. All right. So we're going to do five, six minutes, and then I'll come back. Check, check. All right. Thanks for sharing, everyone. You know, I think when when we uh, talk about Jesus or hear other people talk about Jesus, there's a huge spectrum, right? Even in this room, there's probably a lot of different concepts of who Jesus is, but I think about the conversations I've had and the way that he's been described to me through many conversations, maybe as a good teacher, someone who had a high view of uh, morals and ethics and would teach that to other people, made the world a better place through that, Other people saw him as, you know, a fictional character. Maybe there's a historical part of him, but all the miracles he did and maybe even the accounting of him was fictional. Other people maybe think of him as a deceiver, right? Someone who lied to a lot of people about his resurrection or maybe his disciples fabricated aspects of him to give him more authority and a bunch of gullible people believed it. Um, You know, there's a lot of different ideas about Jesus, and even celebrities. There's like, I call it like the Oprah Winfrey version of Jesus, where he just kind of makes your life better, or the Talladega Nights, Will Ferrell version of Jesus, right, where he loves baby Jesus the most, or um, the Oscar Jesus, where you thank your parents, and then you thank Jesus, and then you thank your producer. Well, when we look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus Uh, Comes across a lot of answers during his time as well, similarly to today. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. During this time, Jesus started gaining a lot of popularity. I, I think if you feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish, like people just want to follow you. You know, If you feed people, they just want to follow you. You heal the sick, people want to follow you. And so a lot of people are gathering around him, some because of his teaching, because of hopes that he would be the Messiah. Other people just wanted to be entertained. Other people were there to oppose him. But he gathered this huge gamut of people And because of how wide the spectrum is, there was a lot of different views about Jesus. I think the disciples left out like heretic and someone who deserves to like be stoned, right? They left out all the harsh things and they talked about maybe this conspiracy theory where he was a resurrected prophet. John the Baptist had just been beheaded, kind of the first old school prophet in 400 years and people were uh, thinking maybe Jesus resurrected from uh, John the Baptist. Maybe he's like the second version of that or the second version of Elijah, who was the greatest prophet in Israel or Jeremiah as someone else. But then there's this pause, I think, as I read this passage. Um, I imagine a pause. And then Jesus looks at Peter. But who, what about you? Who do you say I am? And I wonder if Jesus were to ask you that question like he asked Peter, like he asked all his disciples. Who do you say I am? What would you say? I think some of us have the right answers. We've grown up at church, and and we can give a script of answers for which other people believed to be true of God. If you grew up in a Christian home, maybe you're saying like, oh, he's the son of God. Uh, He died for my sins. He's the second person of the Trinity. But, But is it really something you believe? Or is it just what your parents believed and you're saying what they believe? Is it what your pastor believed, your youth pastor believed, and you're just saying what they believed? When you removed all those other voices and you dig a little deeper, what do you believe about Jesus? What would you say? And I think even even today, um, you know, people have told me, "Man, I've got I've gone to church my whole life, but I didn't really take it seriously, and I kind of am now." So when you ask me who Jesus is to me, outside of my parents, outside of just attending Sunday school and going through motions, I'm not really sure. You know, I, I have a really close friend, and she grew up at church as well, and and um, she had all the right answers as we were talking about this. But when she really kind of took a step back away from, again, her parents and her church, she said, you know, Jesus is kind of like the grandpa I visit um, every Sunday more, uh, couple like a couple of times a month on Sundays. We have this great conversation. I enjoy my time. But then I go live my own life. I think being real with who Jesus is to us is an amazing Starting point. We have to start there. We have to ask that question and be honest. And we can't progress if we're just giving a script of other people's answers. Peter had, Peter says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He makes this bold confession that you are the one Israel's been waiting for. You are a king, you are the anointed one, and you are the Son of God. There's this kind of birthing of, of Jesus being the second person of the Trinity that, that Peter started wrapping his arms around that. And then Jesus replies in these two ways. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I think when, when Jesus being God or Jesus loving us or Jesus dying for our sin isn't just something we hear from someone else and then say. Isn't revealed by flesh and blood, meaning revealed by someone else in our life? Someone else told us that? But, but it's true when we hear it from the Lord. It's true when, when the Spirit reveals that God loves us and dies for us. And it's not just a picket sign. It's not just something the preacher says. It's something that the Spirit shows us, right? This idea of reveal is that something that was a mystery, something that was hidden, but then is unveiled. And I think when you progress in your Christian faith, you start making these distinctions between what you read, what you hear, what you learn about God, and what God has gifted to you what God has spoken to you, right? In one category, it can still be very good, but it can also puff up and make us cocky. In this other category, when Jesus speaks to us, it's transforming and convicting and gentle and powerful. You know it when you see it. And that's what I long for. That's what I long for you to long for. You know, I couldn't sleep. I've been up since 1 (laughs) a.m. And uh, jet lag and stuff. I pretend to sleep for an hour and a half because Liam was trying to go back to sleep and he sang a lot and then he kicked Nina a lot and then he slept. And as I was praying um, and not sleeping, I was like, man, God, what if people came to church today because they wanted to hear from you? Because they wanted to hear directly from your voice. What if, what if we as a community opened up Scripture and said, God, would you reveal who you are to me? What if we went to small group, and, and it wasn't about hearing from the people in this room, but it was about hearing from the Lord? In our children's ministry, we're doing this thing once a week, a couple minutes at a time, where um, the kids just stop, and they learn that prayer isn't just talking to God, but it's hearing from Him as well. And it's really chaotic hearing. So, like, you know, Lincoln and Liam are fighting over the banner that Nina's trying to explain out of. Um, but they, we kind of somehow get 30, 45 seconds of semi silence. And we say, we're going to pray by listening. And um, Janet was sharing in our staff meeting that Ella, her oldest, and Janet is helping with the CM today, um, she's on staff with us. She was, like, uh, praying with the kids in the car, and Ella's like, Mom, like, praying isn't just talking to God. It's listening to him as well. And, and, and she said, in Sunday school, I learned about this. And then Janet's tell, asking Leah, Leah, what did you, did you hear anything when you were, like, listening to God? And then uh, Ella said, sorry, Ella the whole time said, um, I heard God said, I love you. And Janet's like, man, I'd rather you stop in this, like, church that has very little facilities but wants you to hear God's voice than be anywhere else. And when I heard that, um, Ella heard God said, I love you, I'm like, man, we all kind of know that, but I just believe that she hears God say I love you with a completely different texture than I hear it. And if you've heard God say, I love you, you've heard it in this really unique way that means something to you. Um, I also uh, asked Stella to come up and share. I had a great conversation with her as she was like studying, and then we walked to the car together. And she just shared a really special moment with me on, on a Sunday, and I just felt like it was one of those moments, right, where You can come to church and hear someone else talk, or you can just stop and say, God, would you reveal something to me? And so, yeah, I just really moved by her story as well.
1: Hello? Hello? (laughs) You're good. Okay, cool. Hi, everyone. I'm Stella. Um, If you haven't seen me around before, I'd love to get to know you, but I've been coming to Renew for about a year now, almost a year. Um, and just a little bit of background on myself, I grew up going to church, but I fell out of faith for a very long time. Um, and when I moved down to Southern California my first year, I wasn't actually going to church yet, um, and I was going through a lot of struggles, a lot of difficulties with um, mental health, suicide, just really deep depression. Um, and I felt I felt like I was calling out to God in those times, because even though I hadn't been connected with him so long, I didn't know what else to do. Um, but I felt like I just didn't know Him, and I never heard from Him. Um, And even my friends who are Christians and who are encouraging me to really um, lift up all my problems to God, they'll tell me, you know, God loves you, He cares for you, um, He doesn't want you to struggle like this. I couldn't buy it, because I just didn't know Him. I didn't feel Him. Um, I just felt so removed from Him. And even once I um, became healthy again, physically, emotionally, um, coming to Renew was kind of my way of spiritually healing and in the first few months of coming to Renew I was really um, active about coming in you know, on Sundays doing small group. I just really wanted to Dive in and get to know the Lord, but I still didn't hear him I still didn't know him and that was really frustrating for a really long time because I remember talking to Wilson um, I feel like I'm doing everything. Like I'm really being vulnerable to God. I'm really telling him everything. I want to know his heart, but It's just like a one-way communication phone call. Like I wasn't really frustrating because again, everyone who knows the Lord, I think it's really easy for us to tell people, he really cares about you, he loves you, he wants the best for you, pastor, but I've never. It's almost like any kind of relationship, if you don't know that person to begin with, like if you told me Wilson's a good pastor, but I've never heard from him, why would I? And I just remember it if I take that word mm. um, with that kind of seriousness. Um, and I just remember it a few months ago, I uh, was here at Renew during worship, I was just really overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. It was the first time I think I had felt that in my life, actually. Um, and I just fell to my knees in worship um, during the final set. And I think my friends thought I was upset. At the end, they were asking me, like, oh, did something happen? And I said, no, I was. I actually I feel God for the first time. And it was just so overwhelming. And it just really made me understand how I really wasn't alone and a lot of my prayers and my cries, they weren't unheard. It's just God reveals his heart in his own time and in Mm. ways that, you know, was my time to know him. And then now that I've experienced that, um, it's a lot easier to connect with him. I feel his presence um, a lot more frequently. I just know he's around and even if he isn't or if I feel unheard, I don't feel abandoned or forsaken by him. Whereas before, since I didn't know God, it was just always this anxiety of, are you even there? Hmm. So, yeah, it's just been a really transformative experience. Um, And if anyone has ever felt frustrated of of knowing God, I just really encourage that you continue to seek him out um, because he will make himself known to you in his time. Thanks, Stella.
0: You know, I think that's why we ha- that's why we're here. That's why we worship, that's why we gather, that's why we're listening to God's word for moments where you know it's not just me speaking, but the Lord's bringing something into your soul. For moments where you open up scripture and you're reading it, you're understanding it, but then something else hits you that meant something totally different that that weighs on you, that transforms you and I just I pray that you will long for that, that you will look for that, that it would be this other category in your life. For Peter, Jesus tells him in his confession that this is not revealed to you by man. This isn't something you just thought up, but that it was revealed by the Father in heaven. Then he says, I tell you that you are Peter. So here he renames Peter, um, renames Peter from Simon, son of Jonah, to Peter. And then Peter means rock. And so he says, I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. As he gains this revelation about who God is, he understands who he is. And I think that's the most fundamental way that we could draw our identity, is that as we discover who God is, we discover who we are. Peter had a revelation of God. And then Jesus gave him a revelation of himself. And I hope that we would draw our identity from who God is. You know, over this last couple months, there's this greater and greater revelation as God being Father. And, it's, and you've had to hear it over and over again in my sermons, right? About me kind of loving Liam, playing with his roles, you know, being upset but still loving him and, and uh, being proud of him. And then the whole time, God's like, that's me to you. I wonder if we draw our identity out of our strengths and gifts, out of our worst moments, out of other labels that people assign to us, or if our identity, who we act out of, who we say we are, is entrenched in who God is. If it is, our identity is unshakable. If it is, our identity isn't seasonal, is, can't be broken down, can't be taken away, but is is this kind of deep-rooted, anchored confidence, not out of who we are, but out of who God is. So in those moments when we discover Jesus, we're also discovering us, who we are, and our purpose. And that's what Jesus is pulling out of Simon. Simon, um, Peter was someone who was really emotional, right? Here he's affirming Jesus and and confessing him as Messiah. In the next passage, he's going to be rebuking Jesus, and Jesus is going to say, get behind me, Satan. At the Last Supper, Peter's going to say, hey, I'm going to go with you to the cross. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. If everyone else abandons you, I won't. And then that very night, right, he um, denies Jesus three times. He was always kind of this person who was very unstable, Un rock-like, unfoundational, nothing, something you wouldn't want to build build on, on top of. And then Pentecost comes, and then he sees the resurrection, and then he's called to lead the church, and Peter becomes, in his maturity, the man that Jesus has always seen and named. You're going to be an anchor for the church. You're going to be someone who leads the Jerusalem church out um, through persecution and see the spread of the early church. And he walks into trial and says, I know Jesus. He walks into the cross and says, I'm not willing to be crucified the same way as my master. Hang me upside down. Jesus draws identity out of him. And I believe that those moments come in these face-to-face encounters with God? Are we creating space in our life to have these face-to-face encounters where God reveals who he is and then reveals who we are? That happens to Abraham, right? His name was Abram, and then God makes a covenant with him and reinstates his covenant, and then one day he changes his name. You're not going to be called Abram anymore. You're going to be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. I love the way Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. He's wrestling with Jesus. It's like pre-incarnation Jesus, probably the same Jesus that shows up with Daniel in the fiery furnace, right? He spends a whole night grappling with Jesus, and then finally Jesus kind of cheats and like touches his leg, and he goes limb, and then finally like he escapes. And before that, Jacob holds on to him, says, gives me a blessing. And he he changes his name and he says, you'll be called Israel because you prevailed against man and God. And he's been a wrestler his whole life, wrestling with God. And I I think this was a time of torment for Jacob. He had to go look at Esau again, a person he stole his birthright from, a person he'd been alienated with. He didn't know if Esau was going to come up and just, just try to kill him. And I wonder, maybe we find who God is in the wrestling. Maybe we find who God is when we're in the trenches, grappling with him, trying to get on top, going on the bottom again, not sure how things are going to end up, but you're close and you're hanging on and sometimes it feels violent. Sometimes you're fighting him, but you're face to face and he speaks over you and your name and your destiny and your purpose is revealed in that moment. And then he says something else about, um, he says Peter's going to be the rock, and he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, I hope that as we think about building out these rhythms to create space and to listen, we'll look at Small group Sunday service, but also mornings or evenings as the space to say, God, when I'm here, reveal something to me. Let it not just be another Sunday service or routine or religious ritual. Let it be a moment where I where I see you. And I think retreats are one of the most, the best spaces for that. We get away from our from our busy lives. We hopefully put down our phones. And um, we just sit and we desire to hear from the Lord. In March uh, 15th to 17th, we have a young adult retreat that we're extending to college students as well. Um, We'd love for you to come out to that. Uh, Pastor Dave will be preaching, just my favorite preacher that I get to hear in-house. And and we're just going to be spending time resetting before the Lord. We have almost 70 people signed up. We'd love for you to do that as well. I'm gonna close our time talking about honey badgers. Um, in Australia, I went to a zoo and I found out about honey badgers, and they're just the most crazy animal. And I I've fallen in love with them. I started calling Liam a honey badger. Um, so they'll just like they are the most. Um, they're so so they'll just walk into like a lion's pack and be like, "What's up, guys?" You want to? You want to fight me? You know? And then, and just like they just have no respect for people or for animals. And there's memes about honey badgers that they just don't care. That's that's their that's like the tagline, and they are like the most well-equipped animal to pick a fight. So they have impenetrable skin, not completely, but but practically. Like most uh, animals can't bite through their skin, and they're known to be impenetrable even by arrows. And even if you penetrate their skin, their skin's extremely loose, right? So when you, when you get a good like, like, uh, bite on them, you're usually biting skin to skin, similar, like, similarly to a cat picking up a kitten because their skin's so loose. So even if you penetrate their skin, you're not hitting vital organs m- most of the time because because the, the way you're, you're biting them. And then because of how loose their skin is, they can turn in their skin to bite you back almost a complete... 360, right? So they can bite you, and their bite is so vicious that it could crack the the shell of a tortoise. Also, they make this rattling sound when they fight, and rattling is one of the scariest sounds in the animal kingdom because you're just expecting like a cobra or a rattlesnake to come out and bite you. And even if you kill it, you're not gonna you're not gonna survive the venom, unless you're a honey badger because they are. Um, immune to snake venom. So they'll like walk up to a cobra and the cobra will bite it and it will kill the cobra. And then the venom will take over the body. And for the honey badger, it just falls asleep. It wakes up and it finishes its cobra meal. A third of its diet is made up of snakes. The last thing it can do is it's related to a skunk. So it could like kind of turn its anus inside out and there's this putrid smell. So it's just attacking like your ears, your nose, you know, it's ugly. It's, your, it's like clawing at your eyes. It has like these long nails. And because of the way it's made up, it just does not care. Wa- there's videos of it, like two honey badgers fighting off six lions or like a herd of hyenas. It's just like crazy. And they would just like walk through packs of predators just like, what's up? What's up? You want to fight me? What's up? And um, I did see a video of a mountain lion killing a honey badger, but it's an hour long. It takes this mountain lion a full hour to kill a honey badger. Like, it's just like biting it, like choking it, like, you know, and the honey badger's like just fighting back for an hour. It's amazing. And I believe the last part of this passage is about how we're to be honey badgers, okay? It says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom on earth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. You know, one of the things... Uh, that has really stood out to me in this passage is that Jesus is saying that the church, Renewed Church, and all the churches, um, his kingdom is going to push into the gates of Haiti. When you're at someone's gates, it means they're on defense and you're on offense. It means you're in their territory and they're like hunkering down, um, getting ready for an invasion but I think a lot of Christians don't act like honey badgers, you know? They're like scared kittens or like, um, you know, cheetahs that look like they're scary, but they run at the sight of anything. Um, Or they're like mice, you know? Like, they kind of bunker up. They go on defense. A lot of Christians are taught, you know, how separate can you be from the world? How much distance can you be from things that are evil in this world? And how bunkered in can you be at the church basement listening to the fish, wearing like, you know, b- like tomato sacks and like, I don't know, making only Christian jokes. But Jesus is like the goats of honey badgers. Where he invades darkness wherever he goes, right? That's the way that Jesus operated. He would just like go to a, a cemetery and walk up to a man who's running around naked, breaking chains, completely demon possessed. And these demons are like in fear of him. He would sit with a prostitute and, and share the love of Christ with her. He would hang out with tax collectors. He went to every dark place and invaded it. And I think about this profession of Jesus as Messiah and what it means for us that we are to be people who expand the kingdom like Jesus does, invading darkness and pushing into the gates of Haiti, being on the offense. You know, I'm proud of our church for so many different things. But one of the things I love about our church are the Honey Badgers of Renew. And so Kristen, Amihan, and all these people who have signed up um, for Monday nights and Tuesday nights are are doing exactly what Jesus talked about, right? We're going to um, downtown Fullerton and working with kids who have suffered domestic violence as their moms are in support groups. We're with them. Uh, We're loving on them. And when I think about evil. It looks, like, um, it looks like domestic violence. And Jesus is saying, go there and love on people there. On Tuesday nights, we go to people who are underserved educationally and tutor them and mentor them. And a bunch of people signed up for that. This is like probably 10% of our church. And then um, we get to partner with Royal Family Kids Camp that serves 10% of foster youth And we sent four honey badgers over uh, last summer to spend a week with foster kids. And about 15 of us went out to do a big birthday party for them. And many of them have never been able to celebrate a birthday, right? And and when you think again about what does the gates of Haiti look like, it looks like kids not having parents, going from one home to another, not knowing uh, what it looks like to have a family. And we get to be family for them for one week out of the year, and hopefully it inspires us into adoption or foster care. I think about the special needs dance parties that we've had over the year, doing special needs bowling, special needs um, uh, mini golf coming up next month, and the way that we uh, have seen people who are unseen in our society and say that they can teach us something. They can show us what it means to be valuable. in a way that the world just doesn't understand. And then we're going to Iraq. Nina gave me the okay to go to Iraq with Habibi International. Uh, The Chang family is going. Some of you guys are uh, asking for work off, but we're looking at serving refugees in Iraq, the Yazidis people who are driven out of their homes by ISIS. I mean, ISIS is one of the most grotesque events of our time, uh, the way that they've beheaded people, Uh, persecuted Christians and Muslims and raped women. And um, we get to stand in the front line of that and say that the gospel is here too. The kingdom of God will touch and land in this place as well. And we want to bring physical healing. Um, We want to bring economic healing. But mostly we want to bring spiritual healing, the gospel there. We're called to be honey badgers. Because Jesus was a honey badger, because he said that he's going to build his church and it's going to advance into every place of this earth, especially the darkest. I wonder this morning, as you um, sit and listen to the Lord, how, who have you found him to be? And how has what he's revealed to you defined you? changed your life. And I pray for so many more spaces where you can hear from him, where you can hear that he loves you. And it's not a cliche, but it's personal. It's textured. And it's life-changing, that he forgives you. And when you think about your sin, and you hear him say that he forgives you and died for your sins, there's this release of shame and guilt and of freedom. When he he tells you that he's the goat honey badger and you're supposed to be one too, you can release your fears and walk through a lion's pack with impenetrable skin. God, we thank you for who you are. And let it not just be who you are, We're your kids. We bear your name. We're to be fearless and courageous and free. Your spirit lives inside of us. Help us to understand what that means. You know, I just think about 2 Timothy, where Paul says he's unashamed of the gospel. He's unashamed of his chains because what he's preaching is victory over death and what it means to have eternal life. God, we think about the keys of the kingdom that you've given us, how we can unlock the kingdom for people, and that we have this amazing message that speaks of how to gain eternal life and relationship with you. Teach us to carry that. Teach us to stare down the gates of Hades and invade. Let us be that church, God. God.